0: Eagles Entertainment. Compassionate and trusted care. Clinical expertise. It's the cornerstone of NovaCare rehabilitation and why they're the leading provider of physical therapy throughout the Delaware Valley. Don't let aches and pains or any injury slow you down. Schedule an appointment today at NovaCare.com. The Philadelphia Eagles choose NovaCare, so can you. NovaCare, the power of physical therapy.
1: They never perceived us
2: as being that big rivalry. We just hated the Cowboys for, for some reason.
3: Pretty much had the whole time we were with the Cowboys. Everybody hated us, and I know Philadelphia felt exactly that. They understood that, and uh, they fought like heck
4: to beat us. If you are going to be successful in our conference, you better find a way to beat the
5: Cowboys. There was a dismissiveness about the way they treated the Eagles. They just kind of slapped the Eagles around. The city Was so charged up, I almost get emotional when I think about it. You know, it was one of those moments where,
1: you know, we're going to do something special.
0: Hello, and welcome to Return Game, Birds, Boys, and Bad Blood, presented by NovaCare Rehabilitation. I'm your host Rob Ellis, along with my co-host Derek Gunn. We're in the '70s now, a decade that lives in infamy for Eagles diehards, thanks to a mix of memories, legendary football, and a Disney movie. As a fan, having to relive some of these years is like a gut punch. I want to fast forward to the middle of this decade when our
1: fortunes finally and slowly started to change. Not so fast. Not that I like to hit a guy when he's down. But the Cowboys beat the Eagles 11 straight times between 1967 and 72 and 9 straight times between 1974 and 78. Ouch. History is the worst. Being on a team that year in and year out was being trampled by Dallas is one of the memories that sticks with Mike Evans. The
6: six years that I was there, we played the Cowboys twice a year, so it had been 12 times in the six years that I was there, and we never beat them.
0: Evans was the starting center for the Eagles from 1968 to 1973.
6: So it was an added upset, if you will, that, that we couldn't get past them. So it, it became a big rivalry at that time and even got more so after my playing days were over because they would win most of the time until Dick Vermeil got there.
0: Yes, Coach Dick Vermeil, the man who helped turn the Eagles' fortunes around, but we have a few more years and coaches to cover first. Steve Zabel has a quick recap of the first couple of years of the decade.
7: In 1970, I was drafted by the Eagles, and Jerry Williams was my coach. In 71, he got fired after three games, and Eddie Kayat took over, and we really had a sensational turnaround. In, in the last nine games, we won six, lost three, and tied one. So at the end of the year of 1971, we were really excited about our season coming then
0: things took a turn for the birds.
7: kind of went from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde or Mr. Hyde to Dr. Jekyll. And to make a long story short, we went from 6-7-1 seven, in 71 to 2-12 and 12 in 72. All
1: the way down in the Lone Star State, Bob Lilly, Roger Staubach, John Nyland were becoming legends, but new players were added to help shape this team.
7: Well, Cliff turned out to be an all-pro safety for the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, he and Charlie Waters were the two safeties, and uh, they were hard hitters, and they took advantage of every non-rule that was out there. They would hold you and hit you and blind shot you and hit you in the back of the head, anything they could to get away with uh, intimidating you.
1: That's right. Cliff Harris and Charlie Waters were drafted in 1970 to a team that just couldn't make it all the way. Here's Charlie Waters. They had lost a couple championship games against the Cleveland Browns. They were struggling to actually win a world championship. Before 1966, when the AFL and the NFL merged, there was no Super Bowl. It was just a world championship. But we were struggling, trying our best
3: to get established as a championship team. And Green Bay was the best team in
1: the NFL at that time. But establish a championship team, they sure did. So while the Eagles' coaching roster was a movable feast, by 1970, the Cowboys had been coached by the same guy for 10 years. That guy was Tom Landry. I have one football picture up there, and it's Tom Landry in a coat and tie
3: with his fedora, his hat, with his arms crossed, standing with his somber facial expression, as the team was getting ready to be introduced and come out to play a ball game. That is the ultimate Tom Landry. He had his arms crossed,
1: and he just seemed formidable. Coach Landry's fedora is iconic, so much so that Sports Illustrated even put it on a list of artifacts that define the history of the NFL. His fedora even appeared in an episode of The Simpsons. Cliff Harris says Landry didn't wear the fedora all the time.
2: In practice, he wore a baseball cap, but if he we were at a game, he would wear that hat. I was just thinking about that. I'm not sure if he wore it, that fedora in the hot weather, but I, I think he did. Yeah, I think that he did. He wanted to leave a good impression of a class act and a class team with the public.
1: He is probably considered one of the best, if not the best, in the league at that time. He was respected by other players and coaches, but to his team? He was very, very intelligent, and he had a great way of
2: taking a complex—we had, you know, 30 different defenses—and taking a very complex game plan— and simplifying it into terms that were fundamentally the way to win the game. But I don't think he was a real personal guy because throughout my career, he would either call me Chris or Phil because it was Chris Harris or Phil Harris, and I'd, I'd answer to him.
0: But Bill Bradley, a fellow Texan and a real character from the Eagles defense, heard a slightly different opinion of the coach.
8: Tom Landry had a receiver named Hollywood Henderson. I can remember him calling Tom Landry the Teflon man, which you can imagine nothing would stick on him and he was a little bit aloof. He was one of the neatest people in, in the world. You'd want your whole family or your kids to grow up be just like Tom Landry. He ran a pretty pretty good program there. Pretty, pretty disciplined.
0: But let's head back to Philadelphia.
7: So After 72, Eddie Kayak got fired and Mike McCormick came in.
5: That was the first year of a new coach Mike McCormick had come in. He had really dramatically changed the face of the team, made a whole bunch of trades, brought in a lot of new players. One of those new players that he brought in was a quarterback named Roman Gabriel, who had been a a real star in the league, an MVP with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, And McCormick swung a big trade with the Rams, to bring Roman Gabriel to Philadelphia to be the Eagles' new quarterback.
0: No doubt you probably recognize the voice of Ray Didinger. You'll be hearing from him a lot this season. He just knows so much. But back to Mike Evans. He knows a thing or two about quarterbacks, and Gabriel stood out.
6: He was probably the best quarterback that I ever played with. Uh, I had eight starting quarterbacks in my career also. They came in and went out and... uh He was the best of all of them. His intensity, he was like an offensive lineman as far as wanting to hit people. And you actually had to calm him down so that he wouldn't go out and hit people because quarterbacks don't hit people. And you don't want them hurt.
0: Gabriel was already 10 years into his NFL career when he came to Philly. Nowadays, a trade like this might not have happened. Just how much could one player do to stop the Cowboys?
7: Well, I think, uh, quite honestly, that if you looked at my five years with the Eagles, we probably lost more games than we won, but we did beat them. And uh, it was a a great joy to beat them in, I believe, 1973.
0: Excellent segue. Thanks, Steve Sable.
1: You really couldn't have planned that better. All right, on to 1973. This was a really big game for
5: that new regime, that new Eagles team to take on the Cowboys. Because the Cowboys had beaten them 11 in a row. Most of them pretty one-sided. I mean, the Eagles usually were out of those games by halftime. The Eagles weren't even really competitive with the Cowboys at that time. I mean, the Cowboys owned the division. The Eagles had been at the bottom for a long time.
0: Okay, okay, Ray, we get it. Things were not good for the Birds.
9: All right. Good morning. This is Jerry Sizemore and uh, Philadelphia Eagles, and I played offensive right tackle. In
0: 1973, the Eagles picked up some new talent to join Harold Carmichael, Mark Norquist, Gary Pettigrew, Bill Bradley, and Tom Dempsey. One of those guys was Jerry Sizemore.
9: I was drafted in 1973. My whole relative fan base uh, were all Cowboy fans. Even my dad was a cowboy fan. He had uh, had two hats, his Dallas hat, then an Eagles hat that I gave him after my rookie year. They would come to Dallas when we played in Dallas. And I know my dad wore his cowboy hat all the way to when he got right next to the Eagles team bus, and then he would switch them. You know? <laughs> You know, after the game, you talk to him. Okay, nice to see you. Love you. Bye. Then walking out towards the parking lot, the Eagles hat went back in his pocket, and this cowboy hat came back on. So, <laughs> I don't know. It was a, it's rough. It's rough around here with these whiny people being an Eagles fan in Dallas Territory.
1: It's true that would be tough, but being a Dallas fan in Eagles territory might be worse unless you're Cliff Harris.
2: I liked coming into a a tough situation. I liked it better than sometimes even playing in Texas Stadium. And so the tougher the stadium, the more I liked it. As I know, it may sound crazy, uh, but it's really interesting that I can remember at the uh, Veterans Stadium I had a Cliff Harris fan group. They had a sign that they hung off the edge of the, uh, of the banister there before the game. And during pregame warm-ups, I'd always go over there and, they, and it said Cliff Harris fan club. And I'd go over and wave at them and they'd just cheer, you know. So I, I know there were some guys that liked me up there.
0: We can neither confirm or deny Harris's claims of a fan club.
1: You've heard it before, and you'll hear it again because it's true. There is always a contagious buzz around the city when the Cowboys are in town. Even for a team that was as down on its luck as the Eagles, there was always a glimmer of hope. It was the end of October. Sunday the 28th, kickoff was scheduled for 1 p.m. at Veterans Stadium.
2: I can remember that's a, that stadium would get cold. You know, our benches were, were heated, and I remember it being a, a, a cold, cold field.
0: It may not have been quite as cold as Harris remembers it, but for a guy from Arkansas, 53 degrees might be on the chilly side.
1: By 1973, the Cowboys had played in two Super Bowls and had successfully beaten the Miami Dolphins to get their first ring.
9: They came to town cocky, and we didn't get any respect from them. But you know, Waters admits, you had to respect the fans. I do remember
3: playing at the vet, and the vet was a great place to play. But I remember coming out of the locker room and coming down the tunnel onto the field. There was a big sign that was painted, and it was, looked like some fan it was a big-time Philadelphia fan. And they said, this year, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to win the division. And had 1960 marked up there, and it was crossed out. And then they had 61 crossed out all the way up to 1970 (laughs) every year was crossed out so that kind of epitomizes the Philadelphia fan they kind of rival and respect each other for being you know healthy losers and we love playing in that atmosphere thank goodness that the fans couldn't get to us (laughs) because they were pretty tough thanks Charlie we always had so much hope
5: The Eagles
0: jumped on him early. Wide receiver Howard Carmichael was feeding Gabriel Intel.
9: Scouting the first couple of plays of the game, and I kind of got a good feel of the players. I probably had gone to Roman Gabriel and said, hey, uh, he's biting on this, or he's crowding me on this, or he's dropping off on this. And they're really trying to, you know, take the top off, or cover me over the top. The
4: Eagles build a 10-0 lead on a field goal and a Gabriel touchdown dart to the 6A Harold Carmichael.
0: Looking back, Carmichael gives a sense of what the strategy might have been.
9: I was going to just run straight up the field to the sideline and we we'll call it a fade pattern. On offense, Roman Gabriel
4: exploited the porous Dallas secondary with passes to Harold Carmichael, the NFC's leading receiver.
0: The fade pattern worked. That Roman Gabriel pass to Harold Carmichael for a touchdown set the tone for the rest of the game.
1: Philly was on the board, and Dallas Witten scored all during the first quarter.
0: During the second quarter, the Birds increased their lead and went into halftime with a 27-13 to 13 lead.
5: The Eagles really dominated them.
7: They were all over Stahlbach all day.
0: Randy Logan and Steve Zabel each intercepted a Roger Staubach pass.
7: It's tremendously exciting to get an interception off of somebody as iconic as uh, Roger Staubach is a pretty noteworthy event in my career. The
3: aroused eagle hitters toppled Roger Staubach and called him into throwing into the teeth of the secondary.
7: In this particular play, uh, Starbuck tried to throw a curl route to the uh, tight end and I was right in the line of flight and made the interception and it was very exciting. Anytime you could have a takeaway on defense, it was a good thing. Philadelphia fans went nuts, and you know, on Monday's paper, I got a real nice spread on the write-up uh, for that interception and the fact that the Eagles finally had beaten the Dallas Cowboys. So it was
9: amazing. Roman Gabriel had a magnificent day. The defense had a magnificent day.
0: The final score was thirty to sixteen. Eagles.
9: The Eagles'
4: second victory, thirty to sixteen. Long-suffering Eagle fans, sweet victory was savored in euphoria and was well worth the long,
8: long wait. It was a big-time game, and uh, there was a lot of a lot of animosity toward each other, and it was a, a bloodbath, so to speak, a body-bag game, kind of. Every game in the division was a rivalry, and in particular, Dallas was a little more important for a lot of us guys that came from the state of Texas playing for the Eagles and around, and uh, just vicious games. I had a motto when we played the Cowboys, hit them when they're not looking.
9: The
5: Eagles really came into this game with a sense of here's the chance for us to prove to this city and to prove to these fans that we're not the same old Eagles. And the best way to prove that is to beat the Dallas Cowboys. And they did that day. Uh, That was the best game that they played all year by far. The Cowboys came in thinking it was just going to be another day in Philadelphia. Easy win. let's Let's go home. And the Eagles really ambushed them. And the Eagles were really fired up, really ready to play.
1: After the 1973 defeat in Philly, the Cowboys kept beating the Eagles. Well, everyone kept beating the Birds.
0: Yeah, the buzz from that victory didn't last long. It was not good. Even for the most diehard fans, those lean years probably made it tough to keep watching every week. But in 1976, something changed. Bill Berge and Merrill Reese take it from here.
8: The tide turned for the Eagles without a doubt when a little Frenchman from the West Coast by the name of Dick Vermeil arrived. When he arrived, the women swooned. He came out of Los
5: Angeles. It looked like Robert Redford, a young Robert Redford, had just arrived to coach the Eagles. And he was tough, and he was passionate. He had all the ingredients that you would want in a great head coach. I mean, he was out of what you would say central casting, but the players believed in him. And he took this team that had been down so long and pulled them up by the bootstraps.
0: Coach Vermeule remembers landing in Philadelphia for the first time back when he was coaching the Rams.
4: I think it was 69 and driving off the airport in a limo, which I had never been in before picked up by Leonard does and driving by the junkyard to the right side of, uh, of there on the road that passes. And I said, Oh my God, what kind of city is this? But as soon as I got in town and got involved and met the media and, uh, I recognized I was in in a city that really loved their football and their Philadelphia Eagles, and they they needed a lot of work. So I went to work.
0: Coach Ramil, at 37, had limited experience in the NFL, just a few years with the Los Angeles Rams. It was his time with UCLA that caught the eye of Eagles owner Leonard Tos and general manager Jimmy Murray. Even with the Eagles front office pleas, leaving a winning team for a losing team was not a straightforward decision.
4: I did have second thoughts because they didn't have any draft choices, you know, and players win games, not coaches. And uh, I was really concerned about that, but I decided in coming that I would take on the job and treat it as if they're college kids and develop my own players the best I could possibly do and only keep those that wanted to work and and handle the defeats as a step toward progress and uh, keep building and eliminating people that really didn't want to work, that people that just wanted to make a living playing football. And I surrounded myself with a group of wonderful people. And in fact, 12 of them off the original roster went to the Super Bowl five years later.
5: Dick came from college. He had coached at UCLA uh, and he had his own way of doing things. And when he came here, he had a lot of rules. He believed in putting up signs in the locker room, that had all kinds of motivational expressions on them. Quitter never wins and a winner never quits. I mean, all of those things that you would typically see in a high school locker room. Dick believed in all that stuff, and that was how he built his program.
0: That program was hard, even for seasoned NFL players like Bill Berge and Jerry Sizemore, two players who would be with the Eagles for the long haul.
8: He was a tough, tough son of a gun. We had to have our chin straps buckled all the time. He would tell us when we could have a drink of water. I'm a a guy that was making all pro, and uh, this guy is telling me uh, that I have to keep my chin strap buckled.
9: We went from a pro-style management, Mike McCormick, and, you know, hey, just win on Sunday. You know, we're not gonna kill you, and uh, we're not gonna, you know, (laughs) stress you out, but take care of business on Sunday. Where Dick Vermeil knew zero about life in the NFL, but he was just going to work hard. He was going to figure it out. The emotion and the passion from Dick Vermeil was off the charts. I mean, that guy was 24-7, 365, plus four vacations. He lived in the stadium. But it was nice to see that because it started to work. We started winning games, so it was definitely worth all the effort. He had a saying, the best way to kill time is to work it to death. No one in the National Football League will outwork us. And that was a fact, Jack.
0: The guys never worked harder. They started to believe in themselves on and off the field. And if there was one image that Coach Vermeil got into his players' heads?
4: If you were going to be successful in our conference, you better find a way to beat the Cowboys. And the Eagles hadn't done that in a long time, so I sort of set them up as the epitome of the NFL.
0: And the players knew it. Jerry Sizemore, Bill Berge, and Harold Carmichael knew it.
9: Everything we did... Vermeule said, what are you doing today, 365? What are you doing today to get better than Dallas? Our temperature was measured by Dallas. And uh, he would talk about beating Dallas, playing Dallas, catching Dallas. We were just plugging along. And I can
8: remember the one thing that he really stressed to us early was, Guys, someday we've got to overtake the Dallas Cowboys. We're never going to be where we need to be unless we overtake the
9: Dallas Cowboys. We knew that uh, we was going to have to go through Dallas to win the division. And um, he worked us hard enough to put that in our heads that we are winners.
0: And Ron Jaworski, who was traded to the Eagles in 1977 to be their new starting quarterback, he knew it.
9: The minute
5: the schedule came out, the Dallas Cowboys were circled on the schedule. They were our target, and rightfully so. They were a very good football team. They had a terrific quarterback in Roger Staubach, an outstanding coach in Tom Landry. Uh, They had a a revered organization. And a day didn't go by where Dick Vermeule didn't talk about, we got to just keep getting better, not to be the Super Bowl champions, but to beat the Dallas Cowboys.
4: And the reason we're working like we're working is so we can one day go
1: on the field and beat them. And that day was coming.
0: You've been listening to Return Game, Birds, Boys, and Bad Blood, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. I'm your host, Rob Ellis, along with my co-host, Derek Gunn. Stick with us. It's just getting good, and we're heading to Dallas for a Monday night showdown. Compassionate and trusted care clinical expertise. It's the cornerstone of NovaCare rehabilitation and why they're the leading provider of physical therapy
9: throughout the Delaware Valley. Don't let aches and pains or any.